Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. I'm Kim Reynolds of Dogman.com with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund, Apple Cup, 1 p.m. kickoff this afternoon at Husky Stadium, and uh, weather's supposed to weather's supposed to be nice. Uh, temperature in the mid 40s. It's kind of cold out right now, but we're expecting that to heat up a little bit. But uh, always seems to be a little bit colder down at Husky Stadium, as they say in the desert. It's a dry heat. Well, in Seattle, it's a wet cold. So the humidity down by the lake and the cold temperatures to begin the game with, it might be a little bit uh, cool. So make sure to bundle up. But the big news this week, they extended the Apple Cup. Kind of surprised at the terms on that. But uh, you a little bit surprised that it came this quick and they're going to Pullman, Chris? No, not necessarily. Because it, it, it certainly felt like the administrations for both schools wanted it to, to keep going. Um, Anamari Kausade was pretty, she, I wouldn't say she was definitive or adamant about it, but she certainly expressed a preference for it very early on once the, the decision to go to the Big Ten was made. She certainly wanted to keep that thing going. And so, but clearly the only way it's going to keep going is if they play the game in September and especially if they're going to play it over in Pullman. So, um, you know, they'll definitely find a middle ground on it. And I think it was a good middle ground to at least start the next phase of the series at Lumen Field so that, uh, you know, you can kind of get a little bit of everybody involved. Yeah, Scott, it sounds like what the deal was with Washington had that open date the third week of the season because of Ohio State pulling out. You'd have got a half a million dollars for that, by the way. But it sounds like a little bit of the snag was that next year, Washington having one less conference game, so they needed that home game. And just getting the schedule right where every other year they're going to Pullman. So the Washington State didn't want to play two years in a row at Husky Stadium. So the compromise was going to Lumen Field. And it also sounds like the Seahawks had to get involved in that as well. Kurt Schultz said, excuse me, Pat Chun, the athletic director from Washington State, said on KJR that the revenues for next year's game will be split equally down the middle. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's it made sense to me that um, they were going to play at Lumen. Honestly, I'm shocked that they just didn't decide to have every game at at Lumen field um, a little bit. Obviously Washington state wants it back on their campus and I get that, but from, from Washington standpoint, it surprised me a little bit. It didn't surprise me that Washington and Washington state continued to play because I think it, like Chris said, it was a, it was a priority for both uh, staffs to get that done. What surprised me, though, was that Washington was able to be talked into going to Pullman. So uh, we'll have to see if you know what that's like. At least it'll be a le- much less treacherous drive for people as they try to get in there. Yeah, and I think the key question, you know, that hopefully we'll get an answer and I'll do some snooping, you know, over the next couple of weeks is what's the financial hit for University of Washington playing that game over in Pullman if they it's in a way it's not a conference game so 
typically they didn't split revenues on conference games, but they would get paid, you know, for going there. So it'll be interesting to see if Washington is getting paid more to go there because they're losing a home game. And if they're losing that home game, it'll be interesting to see how the university compensates the athletic department for um, taking that hit because having the athletic department having to take that hit, especially with everything that's going on with the budget wise in there, I think the money wise, uh, that's going to be the interesting thing. It's kind of funny, too, because it just seems like Washington State fans are a lot more upset about this game being extended than the Husky fans. Are you seeing that, Chris? I sure am, especially out on the Kook fan board. Well, I expect fans for both schools, the, the, the ones that are the hardcores, the ones that are part of our communities. I expect those guys to be upset because they only see the financial picture. They don't really think about all the other things that go into it and how long it's been going and how much of a tradition it is. Because you hear on the one hand, you you have the hardcores that have been following college football for decades going, oh, the, the spirit of the game is gone. You've got NIL now. you got Transfer Portal. you got free agency. Game's gone and all that. And then on the other hand, they're like, so they're bemoaning the lack of, you know, kind of the way the game used to be played. And then when the tradition all of a sudden is in jeopardy, the history of the Apple Cup, the history of the in-state rivalry, they're like, oh, no, we don't care about that. That's no big deal because it's all about the bottom line now. So I'm not sure how yeah. you can have it both ways. Yeah, it just seems like Kook fans are angry and they probably got some right to be, especially, you know, not being into uh, in a conference right now. But, you know, and Kook fans get really mad at me when I say this. It's just kind of wild that over all of these years, over all of these decades, when the uh, TV contract money is distributed, that Washington State gets the same amount as USC and UCLA. So, and I use the word subsidized, but, you know, Oregon State and the lower tier schools in this conference have been subsidized by the better schools for a long, long time. So, um, you know, it's just a reality of the situation and big money in sports. And the more money that gets involved in this, the more that the small markets are going to be hurt. And that's kind of why the NFL model has worked so well, because they distribute the uh, revenues much more equally than they do in college football. And that's pretty much evidence, you know, because you take a look at those top programs in college football, Scott, and he produce a lot of money. Yep. And get used to it, fans, because eventually... This is going to go to an NFL model where they do share. It's going to be shared. It's that's just how it's going to be. And and that's the only way the sport can survive. It's the it's the reason the NFL did it and it's the reason why college football is eventually going to do it because you have to have teams to play in order to generate all these revenues. And if they don't have the teams to play, if if you go to the the blue blood programs, I'm talking Texas, Alabama, Ohio State, Michigan, schools like those that that just generate so much revenue. And if if they want to keep everything, eventually it's just going to be those four teams playing. And if that's the case, that that's going to lo- you're going to lose a lot of money over the over the entire United States because people are just not going to want to watch those teams play. They want to see other teams play. They want to see their alma maters play. They want to see teams from their region play. And that's why eventually this is going to go to an NFL model where the major programs, the big time programs that bring in a ton of money, just like the Dallas Cowboys used to back in the old days, they're going to have to share revenue with the green Bays of the, of the world, which are, which are schools um, that are on the cusp of, you know, that that top 64 programs in the country well when you've got those big programs that are generating that much money it's the nil you know if they've got a hundred million dollars to spend on nil 
in a school like Wazoo's got eight, you know, that's going to be a problem. So there's yeah. definitely got to be some solutions. And, and tell me how it. many yeah. how many World Series uh, the Yankees have won with their payroll as high oh. as it is. Oh, yeah. And and and, you know, some of these lower end teams that don't have the same kind of revenue that they do it. You know, that that's that isn't the NIL stuff is important, obviously, because but you got to pick the right guys. You can't just go after big money guys all the time. It's all about your culture and it's all about your program. And so, you know, they're just, you know, some schools aren't going to have that much money. But if you make the right choices, you make the right coaching hires. It's not going to matter. And that's part of the problem down at USC, where you've got these guys that are more concerned about their name, image, likeness, their brand and all that kind of stuff. And that's why it's so disjointed down there. So we'll see where that goes. But one o'clock kickoff for the Apple Cup, Chris, and uh, it's going to be electric in there. But Husky Stadium has been electric the past couple of games, starting with um, Oregon and then Utah. It's been kind of crazy in Husky Stadium. So I'm expecting an electric crowd today. It should be great. I mean, if if Washington fans don't show up for this one, and we know Washington State fans, if you know the ones that get a ticket, they'll definitely be showing up in in large groups. So um, this is always this should always be the highest attended one because it's the in-state rivalry game. I mean, Oregon is what it is, and I guarantee I understand how fierce it is and how it's the hated rival now compared to Washington State. But when it comes to the spirit of the in-state rivalry, this is always the best attended game. And so you've got that going. But then, obviously, the history that Washington can make today in terms of being the only team that's gone through an entire full Pac-12 schedule without a loss would be not only incredible, but also hugely ironic, given the fact that it's the last year of the Pac-12. And Scott is red hot as washington state was at the beginning of the year they cracked what they went up to what number 13 in the country something like that i remember yeah it was something like that they got off to a really hot start and then they went on what a five or six game losing six game yeah six game and it just looked like and you tell me if you think i'm wrong when schools like washington state start off that hot uh as the season goes on the depth becomes an issue as guys start to get banged up they just don't have the depth and i think that was part of the problem with that losing streak with them yeah it was part of it um it was also part of it that they ran into a buzzsaw in ucla and ucla was the one that really really exposed some things on on washington state you know they they go out and they beat oregon state which was a baffling loss for oregon state because oregon state is a better team than washington state but they go out, they beat Oregon State at home. Then they go on the road to UCLA, and UCLA just absolutely manhandles them. Um, I mean, it wasn't even – you know, the final score of that game was 25-17, but it wasn't even remotely close to that um, the, with the feel. Then they lose 44-6 to to Arizona. They go to Oregon and lose 38-24, you know, look okay. Then they lose at Arizona State, and then they lose to Stanford – and then they lose to Cal. I mean, some of the losses just were baffling. You're like, how is this even happening? They have a better team than this. And then they go out and they, they get right uh, with, against Colorado. But as uh, another national pundit put, anybody who wants to get right, just go play Colorado. So, um, you know, Washington State uh, was not playing well. And, and it hurt them for those six games. But then they get right last week. And I think that's what has a... A lot of Husky fans really worried about uh, today, you know, today's game. And and um, I think they should be a little bit because Washington State is about as motivated as they've ever been coming into a game. They can prevent Washington from going to the uh, college football playoffs. 
they can get bowl eligible themselves. And this is the last Pac-12 Apple Cup. And as as much as it's going to go on for at least five more years, Washington State really wants this one. They want this one really, really bad. And so Washington's going to have to be prepared. I think Washington State, they're going to have to be ready for the wave of emotions that are going to be not only on them because of senior day and all that different stuff. It's also going to be, you know, they. I'm not saying Washington's going to tighten up, tighten up, but they're probably going to tighten up a little bit. And Washington State isn't. They're going to play loose. They have nothing to lose other than a bowl eligibility. And Chris is Cam Ward. A lot of a preseason accolades coming his way. He started off hot, but boy, he fell off a cliff until the Colorado game. Well, right. And then, like Scott said, getting right against Colorado is kind of what teams do this year. And so I, I really, as much as Scott says they take momentum from that, and obviously I'm sure they do and how highly motivated they are. We saw how highly motivated Oregon State was at Oregon State in a driving rainstorm, and that didn't phase Washington. So I don't know how much that's going to play an impact, especially after like the first couple series. But, you know, when you talk about a guy like Cam Ward and, and, you know, he has to be a confidence player. I mean, he really does. And he came off like a house of fire. I mean, he did some unbelievable stuff in the first few games, especially that that Oregon State game. Uh, he played really, really well, had over 400 yards passing. Um, and, you know, and he even had 430 some yards passing uh, at Oregon. I mean, and that's what really kept them in that game and, and kept that game respectable. But since then, it's been a little tougher sledding. He's had inter- he had interceptions against Stanford and, and at Cal. Uh, had an interception in that game at Arizona where they just fell apart. Um, hasn't really been as effective running the ball as maybe he was a little bit earlier in the season. So yeah, I mean he's he's a guy that obviously they're gonna they're gonna have to pay attention to. I know that um, Chuck Morrell kind of you know compared him to Caleb Williams, which okay if you're gonna do that that's fine. That's that's just that's just Lou Holtz yep. talk to me. I mean, just propping the guy up into something that he's clearly not. But uh, you know, there's there's certainly some some things if you want to talk about his game in terms of him being a dual threat guy and yep. all that kind of stuff. That's fine. I get that. But really, when it comes down to it, he's he doesn't have anywhere near the the talent around him. Yep. They haven't run the ball at all this year to give him a compliment. So he's kind of been doing it Scott, on his own. And Scott, were you a little bit surprised where the comparison to Caleb Williams on that? And then also I want you to talk a little bit about their running game or lack of a running game over at Wazoo. Yeah. the Well, you know, when he says that, I, I take it as he compares their game, not necessarily their abilities. Um, you looked you know, up when he said that, though, didn't you? You kind of go, what? I, I would, well, when he said Caleb Williams, I guess I kind of raised my eyebrows, but I'm taking notes. So I, I I don't have time to just look up and go, what, you know, I have to kind of take what he's doing down. But, but I mean, what he, I mean, honestly, Cameron Ward is the big reason that Washington state kept things moderately close during last year's uh, Apple cup. I mean, he was running around, he was making plays with his legs and his arm. He was avoiding sacks. He did get sacked a couple of times in that game, but, I mean, it was a lot of effort for Washington, their defense, to really get after him. Now, last year's secondary wasn't even remotely close to as good as this one this year. Even with the injuries, I think this this year's uh, secondary is much better, especially the corners are much better than they were last year. So that being said, you know, I I just 
I take it with a grain of salt because a it's rivalry week, so they're going to say a lot of things. It's it's like it's like Jamarcus Shepard saying against Oregon that it's the greatest secondary that they, he's ever seen on film and things like that. Oregon's defense isn't bad, but greatest on film, really? That's the best you've ever seen, huh? Okay, but you know, as far as Cameron Ward and and his game, I, he he does some of the same things that Caleb Williams does, just maybe not to the dynamic extent that Caleb Williams does. As, as far as a running game, there is no running game. There really isn't. Their top rusher has 257 yards. He has 78 carries throughout the season. I mean, it's Cameron Ward is the leading, leading ball carrier, and he's got 109. Everybody else is at 78, 25, 31, 18. There's, they aren't running the ball at all. It, does the Jimmy Lake blueprint against Washington State against Mike Leach and the air raid offense, does that work today against Wazoo? Uh, maybe not quite to the extent where Washington – I mean, I still remember that one where Washington – that one play where Washington literally ran two guys on the defensive line and both of them were lined up over the tackles, just daring Washington State to run the ball. And they still couldn't. They, st- they audibled and they tried to run up the middle. Couldn't do anything. Um, I don't see Washington doing things like that, but I could see them definitely um, playing six DBs. Um, you know, I could see the two corners, uh, Elijah Jackson, Jabbar Muhammad. I could see um, uh, if he's fully healthy, Cameron Fabi Kulanen in there with uh, Michelle Powell over the slots and then see like a Dominic Hampton. And it doesn't sound like Asa Turner is going to play. So maybe like a Michaela Steen also in yeah. there. Um, so yeah, it's going to be real interesting to see what they decide to do. Um, you know, th- their linebackers are a huge key. Carson Bruner's really good in coverage. Eddie Ulafosio is pretty good in coverage. So is Raylan Goforth. So h- how they decide to use those guys and, and pair them with the, with the rest of the, the defense is going to be really interesting to see, but Washington state's going to throw five wideouts at you most of the time. And so I, I could see Washington having at least six DBs in there most of the time. Yeah, Kristen, when we're talking about putting six DBs in there, one less linebacker, Alfonso Tupatala, one of their better linebackers, did not play last week. I don't think he made the trip. Not sure what the deal was with him. Didn't Wasn't able to take a look at him. So not quite sure if that was an illness thing or if it was an injury thing. I haven't been able to see that. Uh, last home game, I saw Asa Turner at his arm was in a sling. My gut says that he had surgery. I don't expect Asa Turner back anytime soon. Uh, Cam Fab, not sure what the deal was with him. He didn't make the trip either. Uh, Vince Nunley, it was also, and you might want to... Well, it was kind of weird when we were asking um, Kalen DeBoer about Vince Nunley. He doesn't squirm very often, but he sure seemed uncomfortable talking about safety Vince Nunley. He said it wasn't disciplinary. It wasn't injury related. So he said he was just taking care of some stuff. So not sure what the deal is there. Well, he made it sound like it was personal, which is, you know, if you want to put it under the heading of personal, it could be any number of things. So who knows? And it could be a family thing. You just... There's no reason to speculate on it. Bottom line is he's either going to be playing or he's not going to be playing. I mean, he, you know, these things just are so fluid from week to week. I think I saw uh, something where, you know, Cam Fab had either an Instagram post or a Twitter post or something where, you know, it looked like he was practicing this week. So I have, you know, no idea. We'll we'll see when they when they come out today who exactly shows up. I think you're right about Asa Turner. I, I wouldn't expect him. Um you know, what's really interesting, though, is that there are some things along Washington State's offensive line where they had to jumble some things around against Colorado to make it work. And obviously it was a get right game for them. So people won't really look at that and 
and blink twice or think the other way. But, you know, Esapole was a guy who didn't play for them, their left tackle. So they had to swap out their left guard, put him at left tackle and bring in a new guy at left guard. Well, if that's the same case against this Washington defensive line, who's really starting to come good a little bit. And I think tech, I think, Honestly, and I don't know how you guys feel about it, but I think they had one of their best games against Oregon State. So I think they're starting to really come together. And, and Tuli Latuli Gasanoa had a really, really good game. I know Chuck Morrell said that it was really important for him to get in that game and get the number of snaps that he did. And so if he's getting right and he's starting to come good again and feeling good physically, that that's going to be huge. So the, 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 the work at the line between Washington State's offensive line, if they have to kind of remake that thing again against this Washington defensive line that's starting to come really good, what we expected them to be, I think that could be a big key. And I think the key on that side of the ball, too, is uh, not so much Thule because Washington State's not going to run the ball, but Braylon Trice has become a wrecking ball out there where the sack numbers may not be there. Don't let that fool you. If he doesn't lead the country in pressures, he's right up there, and he's definitely impacting the game. And when he's getting the pressure on the quarterback that's causing them to throw early, which could lead to interceptions, which is something I expect to see today. I fully expect Braylon tries to impact some throws that are going to lead to turnovers. Yeah. But yeah, it, starts, yeah. it starts in the middle guys. And if Thule can occupy guys and give more one-on-one situations to ZTF and, and Braylon Trice, that is where you, that's where not only can you force Cameron Ward into outside scrambles where you're getting him right into where Trice and ZTF want him to be, but you can also hopefully force him up the middle. And if they start pressuring with guys like Carson Bruner and Eddie Ulafosio and guys like that coming up the middle, they can create a lot of havoc there and maybe get some more sack numbers. So I think there's a number of different ways uh, they can go on this, but I think it really does start in the middle with guys like Thule and, and Fatui Tuatele and, and Jacob Bandis, uh, MJ Ale, uh, Javon Parker, guys like that. I think they, they really need to step up because that's where it all starts. And the thing about Braylon Trice that a lot of people don't understand, uh, Scott, is you take a look at ZTF and what is he, about 230, 240 pounds? Braylon Trice is about 270, 275. He's a big dude. Yeah, he is. He's a he's an absolutely big dude, and he can fly, and, and they can put him on stunts. They can do different things with him. So, yeah, I mean, he's – you know, I know he's not putting up the sack numbers that everybody wants him to put up, and, and I mean, that's been a bit of a surprise, definitely. But, man, I – I mean, you just you watch what he does and how he impacts the not only the passing game, but the running game. I mean, it's just I mean, he's just a, a beast on that edge and really tough to move off of it. I mean, the guy has four sacks this season, but, um, you know, I I he, he he should have more. But I think the fact that teams have been chipping him and, and doubling him and, and getting the ball out quicker and running away from him and all those different things. The fact that he's putting up the numbers that he's putting up, I, I think, is just very, very impressive. He had one hit last week where he just put his shoulder into the guy and took him down. And it's, mm-hmm. I, I mean, he's just, how do you say, he's heavy. When he yep. hits, it's kind of heavy. Yeah. It feels a little bit different. Mm-hmm. So. Absolutely. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. 
new CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. How you survive, you make quick, smart decisions. If you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Yeah, moving over to the other side of the ball, Washington's offense. Last week, I don't think anybody could have done well in the atmosphere that we played in last week with the rain. Just the relentless rain impacted the game. But uh, I expect the Washington defense today to just come out uh, lights. Uh, you light, mean the offense? Yeah, the offense, I expect, right? yep. yeah, I expect Washington's offense just just come out and fire. And Michael Penix with the Heisman Trophy still in sight. I expect him to come out and have a big game. Yeah, I think a big key is going to be getting Jalen McMillan back 100%. I mean, what did he, what did they say he played, like 32 snaps last week? And, yeah. and what did they run, like 58? 53. 53 snaps. So he ran a vast majority of the snaps. And, um, you know, he had a couple drops, a couple catches that Jalen McMillan, a healthy Jalen McMillan usually makes. So, um, so you know, you don't, you don't want to get too – too hyped up yet because you know he hasn't been back to it himself yet but you know I mean he's he's just so dynamic out of that slot and I think that Washington could really benefit the 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 offense will really benefit if he can if he can stretch the field and do the things that he does I mean he was the big playmaker against Washington State last year um wasn't it was that the very first play that he made that I know it was on the first yeah. drive of the second half but yeah the yeah. first play of the second half goes what 68 yards whatever so, it was well no it was 75 because I think they got right yards, after yeah. the kickoff and yeah I think that's right at the 25 yeah yeah so I mean just a ridiculous ability and you know I've heard from several people that he's a guy that most believe that most scouts believe can be um better than anybody in the nation. And that included Marvin Harrison. Um, if he can, if he can get healthy and, and, and stay healthy in the NFL, they think that he could be the top pro coming out. Now he's not going to get that, that designation. It's going to be Rome. It's going to be Rome. Uh, uh, Dale McMillan. It's going to be, who's the Jacoby, uh, whatever his name is from Florida state. Um, you know, those are going to be the guys who get drafted earlier, but Jalen McMillan, if he, if he is a hundred percent and ready to go, He's a guy who could be really, really special, and and, and with Washington, yep. he he makes their offense that much better. I, and I'm, this is not putting anything bad on Giles Jackson. They're going to try and redshirt him as much as possible this uh, today, so that he can play um, in the bowl game and in the Pac-12 title game and possibly in the college football playoffs. But um, he's I don't think Washington has been any worse because of him. I think I don't think he hasn't made some plays, yep. but. He's just not as dynamic as Dylan. And of course, I think the big question for today's game, Dylan Johnson, and I've talked about this before, after the um, on Oregon State's last drive, he was definitely on the sidelines hobbling around. I was kind of surprised to see him go in. He had a couple carries on that final drive. But uh, after the game, he was standing at the entrance to the tunnel, and we're talking maybe 20 yards to the locker room. And he got on a cart, and they took him. Uh, not to the locker room. They took him somewhere else. I'm not sure if it was a medical facility or what, but he was definitely on the cart and they drove him away. And one of the coaches said, I hope he's okay. So it'll be interesting to see um, the health of uh, Dylan Johnson. Was it Ryan Grubb who said earlier this week he was in a boot? Yeah. And, and yes, he I did. mean, anyone that saw the Seahawks game on Thanksgiving 
and, and saw the the thing where Geno Smith was on the table getting treatment for his elbow while he was talking to the media and talking to the to, to the to the TV guys as part of their prep. I mean, it's it's amazing what treatment can do, and it's amazing what you know what can happen. I, I remember going all the way back to the early Sark days, and I remember there was the right before the opening week. I think it was we found out that Chris Polk had had like some sort of surgery or some sort of of procedure done on like his uh, like ankle or foot or something and his foot was in a boot and then he came out and played like that week so i mean there's just no way of knowing exactly how dylan johnson's going to be but i think you definitely have to prepare if you're washington state you got to prepare for him but if you only see will nixon if you only see sam adams if you only see tybo rogers then so be it. I mean, that's, you know, those are the guys you're going to have to go up against. And, and if you're those, those guys and you're Lee Marks, you have to still find a way to be able to manufacture some run game to give Michael Penix a, a, a decent chance at some play action, uh, taking some shots down the field. And Scott, I think that Washington's going to be able to take those shots down the field. I'm not too concerned about uh, Washington state's defensive secondary. Well, you might not be con- you know, concerned about the secondary, but you should be concerned about their pass rush. I mean, Ron Stone's a really good pass rusher. Um, Jackson, I forget his first name, is the is really good. Brennan Jackson is a really good pass rusher, too. Now, Washington has neutralized really good pass rushes over the last couple of weeks. So they've obviously got some some stuff going on up front that that they feel like, you know, they're they're not going to have to worry about. But you know, you better be concerned about that pass rush because those guys do like to get after you. Yeah, and like you mentioned, Washington has been able to neutralize the pass rushers with at Oregon, Oregon State, and Utah, where they all have dynamic pass rushers, and it really hasn't been an issue. Yeah, yeah, but that that's been them being on their p's and q's. All, all it's got to happen is one guy needs to be off, and Mike Penix is a, is on his back, <laughs> so and that is not something that you want to see at all. So, um, you know, Washington has, has, has two really good tackles in Troy Fautanu and Roger Rosengarten, both of whom I think will be playing in the NFL um, next year at this time. I, I really think Roger Rosengarten's probably gone. But um, that being said, you know, Washington is, is um, blessed with two tackles, and um, I think they're going to be able to handle things. But until you see it happen, it's always got to be a concern. But, Kim, back to your original question about going down the field. Washington should be able to have their way in the secondary. If Michael Penix has the ability to stand back there and, and have, have you know three, four, five seconds to, to throw a pass, Washington's going to have a field day. He'll have 500 yards and five touchdowns. Yeah, Romo Dunsey, I, I think Rome's going to come up big in his final game. I also expect Jack Westover to come over at pick, Chris. You know, Jack Westover's kind of been, I don't know if you want to call him the security blanket, but it just seems like when they need a play, Jack Westover seems to make one. He does, and 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 bottom line is if guys like Jackson and Stone, if, if, if they're just given license to pin their ears back and just try to get upfield at all costs, Ryan Grubb's going to have plays for that, including tight end screens. We've seen that before. Um you know, he's, they've got those middle screens, they've got those delays, they've got all sorts of things that they can use. They haven't even used much of the delay and draw game out of the backfield. Mostly it's been, it's been out to the sides. And so, you know, they, I think Grubstow's got a lot of stuff in his bag that he can go to if, uh, if all they want to do is just try to get upfield and, and not uh, really worry too much about what's going on in the flats and what's going on behind them. Um, the other thing I would say, guys, is that 
if if Shaw Smith Wade is out of the game, which is Washington State's main uh, cornerback by far, I mean he's kind of their lockdown guy. He's their Jabbar Muhammad. If Shaw Smith Wade is not available because he wasn't available against Colorado and hasn't been available, I don't think for a, a little bit now. Uh, if he's not available today, then that's going to give Washington even more incentive to try to really attack some of those Washington State defenders because they can they can they can be got. And Chris, that uh, middle screen to O'Dunsey last week, boy, it just seemed like they ran that twice. And boy, he just got kind of tripped up at the last minute. But if he hadn't had an ankle tackle on one of those two plays, they would have gone for a long ways. Yeah, and it's kind of their version, you know, like when when Oregon State was running their screens with Martinez and and whatnot with their running backs. This, this is kind of what Washington does with their screen game. That's how they want to use it with guys like Odunze. They've done it in the past with guys like McMillan and Giles Jackson, and they'll even run some of those delays out of the backfield too. At times, they've run like Hugh Millen calls it those Texas routes where the where the the running back will angle out by the tackles and then they'll cut right back in almost like a slant mini slant into the middle of the field when that whole middle of the field is vacated because all the other guys are going deep. And so they have to be covered. And so they, they've got, like I said, they've got a lot of stuff in the bag and, and grub obviously is a master at being able to kind of coordinate these things so that they, they make sense and they keep the defense on their toes. Yeah, no, I expect Michael Penix to have a big game and I expect the offense to just kind of roll today. Uh, and it's got, if Washington wins the toss, do you take the ball first and put your foot on their throat? Cause it just seems yes. like, it just seems like if you get Washington state down and behind that, uh, it could get ugly real fast. Yeah. Um, normally I'm a guy who believes in deferring if you win or, or more than happy to let the other team take the, the opening kickoff. So, um, yeah, but in this case, I think Washington should put their offense on the field and and uh, try and try and just establish that, hey, you guys are going to be in for a long day with us passing the ball around. Then I disagree. I disagree. I think that I think they defer. And the reason I the main reason I disagree, guys, is because I think they want to get Husky Stadium rocking right away. They want the defense to set the tone, get the ball right back, score. And now all of a sudden. You've got you've got double the advantage you would have before, because not only will Washington State be playing from behind, but they'll be playing from behind, knowing that Washington's going to get the ball and the second half and they can go up two, three scores, whatever they need to. I think when you're at home, you defer not only because you get the ball second half, but you want to set the tone with your defense. You want to try to see if you can make a big play, make a sudden change play like they have the last couple of games and see if you can go ahead and attack that way. Because getting yeah. the crowd going in a situation like this, in, a, in an in-state rivalry this heated, I think it's key. Yeah, it's interesting because I think it was uh, Wilner who talked about the uh, Washington State at Colorado where he anticipated Washington State not being interested and guys looking to enter the portal and just, you know, the season winding down. But he didn't anticipate that coming from Colorado more so than Washington State. And that's why I feel if Washington's able to get up on them early, uh, you could see Washington State fold real easy because they've got a lot of reasons to fold. I don't know why. I don't know why Wilner would have thought that about Washington State over Colorado because Colorado because they lost built six on the, games in a row. <laughs> well, they've they've been built on the portal too. I mean, it's like Colorado's. That's all they are is portal guys. They're they're going to come and go with the wind. I mean, it's I don't know. That's it's interesting. 
Yeah, no. Expecting a wild game today at Husky Stadium. Again, one o'clock kickoff and be interesting on the sidelines. Evidently, sounds like Blake Snell's going to be there. He was up at uh, UW uh, earlier this week, but uh, the Cy Young winner in the National League. So be good to see him. And uh, who else is there? I sent a text to Jim Moore, by the way, this morning, like I always do. So that's always fun. But Scott, uh, recruiting, talk, touch bases, uh, some big time guys going to be on the sidelines for uh, University of Washington visits today. Yeah, Brandon Huffman put up a story on Thanksgiving Day. You guys can go back. It's linked on our uh, recruiting board. But, um, you know, Washington's going to have a decent number of guys, a couple surprises, I think, um, that we'd kind of been hearing about and hinting about but didn't uh, know if it was actually going to happen or not. Uh, Two 2024 guys um, in Aaron Butler and Paul Menke. Uh, junior um, Aaron Butler's from California and, and uh, Paul Mankey is a safety prospect from Texas that Washington was after a lot. And Washington is both of those guys are coming up now. They're not on official visits. Uh, Paul Mankey already took his official visit and Aaron Butler hasn't uh, scheduled an official with Washington. Aaron Butler's a uh, wide receiver, by the way, but um, both of those guys are committed to other schools. Aaron Butler's committed to Colorado and Paul Mankey is committed to Duke and, um, Washington has a tie with Paul Mankey. His, his dad was a Cougar, uh, quarterback, but his, I think it was his aunt that worked for Don James and, um, and, uh, Jim Lambright in the recruiting office. So she's got ties to the program. He, he's been to Washington before he's, he's been up here before, uh, not just as a recruit, but also as a fan when he was a young kid. And so that's those are two interesting visitors. Um, another couple guys that are commits, but they're commits to Washington. Radumana uh, Bulabalavu um, ended his season last week. He's a 2024 commit, defensive lineman out of Carl, Carlsbad uh, Army Navy Academy. So it's a small school. Uh, put up video game numbers like 23 and a half sacks, like almost 40 tackles for loss, all that kind of stuff. He's going to be on campus. Jackson Colick, the only commit for the 2025 class right now, is a quarterback out of Laguna Beach. He'll be on campus as well. Um, then you then you talk about 2025 guys, the top top prospect in the state of Washington for 2025, Zadrius Rainey Saleh. He's out of Bethel High School um, down down there in the South End. He's going to be here. Um, Devin Hyde, a uh, top end edge prospect out of Menlo Atherton in California is going to be on campus. This will be his second uh, game. I think he came to the, uh, to, um, the, uh, who I'm sorry. It was one of the, it was one of the, it wasn't the Boise state game. It was, who did they play after Boise state? Tulsa. Blank. Tulsa. I kept wanting to say Toledo and I knew it wasn't Toledo. Uh, Devin Hyde was at that game. Um, and he really likes Washington a lot. Um, there's another, uh, the number two prospect, uh, in the state of Oregon, a wide receiver, Landon Kelsey is also going to be on campus, 2025 guy. And then, um, you know, there's going to be a few out of state 2026 guys that are on uh, campus. Camden Jensen, he's a tight end out of Colorado, Littleton, Colorado. I think that is the same area that, um, that uh, uh, Henning uh, had came come from the the soft the freshman from Washington is, is was from there, and then Lawndale uh, Losinger Edge Sam, Samu Muala is also going to be there. I also expect a a handful of FSP and Air guys to be on campus as well. So there's going to be a pretty good group on campus for the Apple Cup, and uh, it's one last chance for Washington to showcase 
what they can do and what the game day experience is like uh, for kids this year. The big uh, defensive tackle, Jericho Johnson, Washington's been after for a while and announced he's going to be announcing here shortly. Can you have any update on Jericho Johnson? Yep. Don't get your hopes up, Husky fans. Don't go buy that Jericho Johnson Husky jersey. It's not going to happen. He's yeah. going to Oregon. He's How going many, to Oregon. So. Yeah, and people get a little bit wound up with this kind of stuff, but it sounds like Washington's more interested in getting a couple defensive tackles out of the portal than a high school kid. Yep, yep, and a high school kid that added a lot of bad weight. He's 350 pounds. Now, Washington still probably would have taken him, but, um, you know, gained some bad weight and, and there, you know, d- is not moving even remotely as well as he was moving as a junior. Now, that could change, you know, once you get to college, you get in the, the weight program, the, the nutrition program, and everything that they have going on. But um, Washington, I think, besides the fact that they probably saw some of the writing on the wall, I think they also cooled on him a little bit because they just didn't see um, the the same guy that they that they had seen as a junior. And and I mean, senior film does play a role for these kids, and and it, to think that it doesn't is is naive. And also, I think they're looking at we need some help next year. Somebody yeah, that can come in and make an help. impact yeah. next year rather than three years well, down the road. Yeah, well, and if you think about it, Omar Khan, um, Dominic Kirks is a possibility to move inside. And because he played some three tech this year as well. And uh, Bula Balabu, who I already mentioned, is going to be up. That That's three guys for the de- interior defensive line class that Washington's bringing in. And so um, and then there's also a guy like Keona Wilhite who has the frame to become a three tech once he gets to college. So um, he's going to be at edge to start. But, you know, th- those are all guys that could could eventually end up playing interior defensive line. So their numbers there are pretty tight. Now, Jericho Johnson is a, could be a difference maker if he's motivated, properly motivated and, and in the right shape and everything like that. He could be a real difference maker for you. And so I think you still bring him in. But like you said, Kim, they really need guys who are going to help out this coming season rather than guys who are going to help two or three years down the road. And, you know, who's going to be plugged in with Tuatele and who's going to be plugged in with Bandis and the, the Parker brothers? You know, they need at least two guys out of the portal. One guy is going to have to be that big interior, uh, you know, nose tackle type. And then they need a three tech who can get some pressure on the quarterback from the interior. The problem is everybody needs that. It's like you say, Kim, when it comes to basketball recruiting, everybody wants that big man who can move, you know, that six, 11, seven footer who can move and who can you know, maybe even have a little bit of handles who can who can pass the ball around and do different things. Everybody wants that. It's not like they grow on trees. And, so, go just, down. and, and just real quick, guys, they've offered one of those guys. Yeah, yeah they did. Yeah. Uh, a guy by the name of Joey Slackman from University yep. of Pennsylvania. He's a first team all Ivy, 6'4", 300 pounds. He's a December grad. He's a grad transfer with yep. one year. Um, you know, here's a guy. And this will give yep. you the evidence as to exactly what Scott just mentioned. You know, he was offered by Washington a few days ago, but the the day that he or the maybe the day after he announced that he was going into the portal he's he basically had like 20 top d1 offers top d1 offers yeah and real real quick on that guy uh chris do you have his name i don't have it pulled up yeah joey slackman joey slackman um i ended up chatting with him yesterday uh not yesterday on thursday um on thanksgiving day actually and i felt bad but he actually messaged me so um but he we basically chatted for a little bit and he wants to make his his decision by december 20th 
He plans to enroll wherever he wherever he ends up at um, in uh, January. And he said he's going to take visits in December. And he said Washington is definitely on his list of schools that are really intriguing. He said he wants to see how a lot of these um, not only games this weekend are going to pan out, but also how some of these championship games pan out, because those are the schools that he wants to because he wants to win a title. Yeah. And he wants to yeah. go to a program that's that's big and, and he's got one year to do it. And he wants to be on a program that's going to be on national television a lot and that's going to be in the in the high part of the rankings. And so I think a lot of these games this weekend, but also next weekend, are going to really go a long way in helping him decide which schools he wants to take official visits to. And Scott, over under, I'm guessing that maybe two more high school guys outside chance at three. Yeah, I would say three is probably your over under number. Um, and, then, and then fill in from the portal. Yeah, the, the portal, they're, they're going to take ten, uh, five to ten guys from the portal pretty easily. And you're, you're going to have maybe a skill guy here, skill guy there, but it's going to be almost all in the trenches or maybe at linebacker. I'm guessing that two defensive linemen. Yep. A tackle or two. Um, yeah, I, a lot depends. And I, and I wrote this out. There's a lot of nuance to it because if Roger Rosengarten comes back, Washington doesn't necessarily need two tackles. Now it might be great to take one, but because Jalen, um, Jalen, uh, the, the transfer from Kansas state, gosh, I'm blanking on names. Yeah. Jalen Clem is, is, is a guy who they are very intrigued by and they think could be really good down the road. Um, you know, especially since he hasn't been coached by his dad. So, um, you know, I mean, Washington has tackles if Roger Rosengarten stays. If he doesn't stay, though, and I think they like some of the guys they have from last year, but they don't want to count on redshirt freshmen developing to the point that they can come in and play. They want guys who yeah. have experience playing in college football. So I think they would like to find at least one tackle, at least one guard. I'm guessing a one safety. Uh, yeah, probably. Yeah. And, and also if they have a lot a chance- depends on if sorry, Kim, a lot depends on if um, Vince Nunley uh, ends up sticking with a program or has to leave. I'm also guessing if they have a chance at a big time skill player that could come in immediately and be an impact guy like a running back, uh, possibly a tight end or a wide receiver that would be an impact. Well, player. I can almost guarantee you there. I mean, with Jalen Polk, Jalen McMillan and Romo Dunze all likely gone after the season is completed, I I think they're going to take at least two wide receivers out of the portal. And then a quarterback, of course. Yes. Yeah, I I think a quarterback is very likely. Yeah. All right. Hey, Chris, moving over to basketball real quick. Uh, Great game against San Diego State last week. I know it was a loss, a loss in overtime. They had a chance to win it at the free throw line with no time left on the clock, but it went into overtime. But uh, they played well. They played really well really well they just went up against a man child in Jaden Ladee that nobody could handle and he's going to be a problem for people all year but uh, they play San Diego University of San Diego not San Diego State USD on Tuesday no 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 University of California San Diego UC San Diego not University not the Toreros the other one Okay, and then uh, the day after the championship game down in Vegas, they play in Vegas against Colorado State. But uh, I was pretty encouraged in what I saw against San Diego State. San Diego State's a good team. Really, really good team. And the the point guards really came to the fore. Paul Mulcahy especially. I mean, he had, I don't remember, he had double-digit, I think, uh, assists. 
Um, nine you know, and a half. Yeah, nine he had like nine. Yeah, exactly. And, and uh, you know, Keon Brooks came alive <laughs> in the second half and especially in the over. Overtime was basically Ladie against Keon Brooks. And, you know, I, I feel bad for Mulcahy because he could have won the game at the end and and uh, missed the one the front end of the of the two free throws. So he was able to tie it at the end. But, uh, wow, that would have been a great one to, for them to steal. And then now you look at UC San Diego, which I haven't really looked at them yet. But then you look ahead to San, to Colorado State yeah. after the Pac-12 championship, Pac-12 championship game in Vegas. Well, I believe Colorado State a couple of days ago beat um, Creighton. And Creighton, I think, is ranked. So, you know, this is another data point where or or a potential t, uh, tier one game that Washington has a chance. If they can win in that neutral floor, that could be a huge, huge win for them. So, yeah, it's it's funny because the Pac-12, man, they're taking on all comers. I mean, you're looking at the Maui invite that was played in Honolulu. You, you, you had UCLA losing to uh, Gonzaga, but you have you have Arizona with, you know, they won at Duke. And I think they just beat someone else too, pretty big. Uh, Michigan State, you know, they're they're you know they're taking on all comers and looking like arguably the best team in the country right now. So uh, Pac-12 is going to be huge this year. It's going to be super super competitive. But you've got to be you've got to be really excited and encouraged if you're a Washington fan about this team because of the makeup, because of the ability. The fact that they they have their their three legitimate bigs now that can all do something a little different. Um, everyone, you know, once they get Wesley Yates, I don't. How is he going to fit in the mix? That's going to be a big question. But they have a lot of pieces, and and Hopkins has got a lot of things that he can do at his disposal. Because one of the things we saw, Kim, they switched out of that man and ran a little zone, and that actually worked in their favor. It worked really well for a time to help them get back in the game in the second half. So. They've got some switch-ups now, legitimate switch-ups that they can do, use with their defense. So, again, all, all signs pointing to um, a lot of, of potential good things coming down the road for Washington basketball if they keep on the trajectory that they're on. Yeah. Hey, and just one thing real quick, because I know fans are going to go crazy. Oh, they're going to go back to the zone. No, they're not. No, 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 no. No, <laughs> no, no, no. they're not. No, it's, no, they're it's not. a change-up. It's a change-up. Like well, I said, it, 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 it confused San Diego State a little bit, created some transition offense for them. There was a whole, you know, there was a number of good things that it helped uh, yeah. really kind of reinvigorate in the second half yeah. for Washington to help them well, get back because they were down upwards Chris, of 11, so much, 12 points and, it and came back. It wasn't so much the changeup. It was because their two bigs got in foul trouble. Two of their bigs got in foul trouble and they were trying to hide it. So that... And that's not going to happen that often when you've got the two legitimate bigs. But, you know, I know some fans are going to freak out. Same thing. Same thing as last year. They're not going back to the zone. They're going to play 95 percent man to man. But they can also. But the thing is, they have a third big if they want to bring in 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 Wilhelm. They've shown that they can do that. They can also go small. We've seen tons of that the last couple of years. They have options on defense, so they don't have to go to zone if they don't want to. But the idea is now they have that pitch in their arsenal so to speak so they could go to it if they need it yeah it's kind of like when marcus Tuasasopo started running the option all of a sudden everybody had to prepare for the option and taking practice time away from the other thing so yeah uh, good thing scott eklund one o'clock kickoff at the apple cup today wrap it up uh get a win get a win head to vegas undefeated as the only pac-12 team to ever be undefeated how about going from being in 2008 the only pac-12 team to go defeated the entire season winless the entire season to to um 
get becoming the only undefeated program in conference history. So uh, pretty big, pretty big uh, uh, shoes um, to fill. And I think Washington has the team to do it. Um, I like Washington in this game, you know, relatively comfortably. I think they pull away late. I think early on it's going to be pretty close. But Washington's going to pull away, and it's mainly going to be because, A, Kim, like you said, the depth. But also I think the the Huskies are just going to they've, – they've got that killer instinct um, that they know that this is a um, a very important game. But also it's important not just to them. It's important to the fan base. And Washington needs to go into that, that game in Las Vegas with the ability to go to this college football playoff if they win that game. And the only way that happens is if they beat Washington State today. Chris Fetters, wrap it up. Yeah, all the things that Scott said, plus, you know, we talked about the motivations and, and how Washington State's motivated to come in here and play spoiler today. Washington's got as much motivation, if not a lot more, to create a lot of history, to get back down to Vegas in a, in a positive mindset with riding a lot of momentum, creating that history and everything else. They've had this. They've had the deck stacked against them, guys, all year long. They have to play back to back to back ranked games in November, and to, to go through that gauntlet unscathed, and then have Washington State in front of them. They're they're not going to let the Cougars do anything to them today. I just don't see it happening. I, they don't have enough firepower. Washington State, yes, they got right against Colorado, but that's a blip. I mean, Colorado's offensive line is an absolute shambles. So when I look at Washington State's defensive line, I'm like, yeah, good for you guys. You did well against Colorado. The tackles that that Stone and, and Jackson are going to face today, they're unlike anything they may have seen all year long. So maybe Arizona might be the only, you know, maybe tackle to some that they've faced that's that good. And, you know, <laughs> Arizona kicked the crap out of them. So I kind of expect a little bit more of that same today. And then bottom line going in, like I said, deck st- stacked against them. Washington may be the only team that's trying to get in the playoff that's going to have to play the same team twice to be able to do that. I don't think any other team's going to have to do that this year. And so it's every step of the way. It's been adversity, 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 and Washington's overcome every single time. And they'll do it today, and, you know, they've got a great chance of doing it next week as the Pac-12 championship and champions to get into the playoffs. So, so many good things to look forward to. I can't wait to see the atmosphere today. I think it's going to be off the charts. I think it's going to be as good as it was against Oregon. And uh, I expect good things from the Huskies today. Hey, Chris, I got my, uh, I got the text back from Jim Moore. What do you think he said? Oh, I don't know. What does he always say? My everlasting, my everlasting thought of Jim Moore was playing that, Thing with him at the golf tournament at Washington National and him hitting driver off the deck like he was a like he was a pro and it was amazing. What would he always say on the text line, Chris? Come on, I don't know. Go Cougs. I don't know. No more Grinnells, less fetters. Oh, of course. <laughs> so. Dude, he's je- jealousy, man. It's a bitter trait. It's a bitter trait. <laughs> I, me and Jim are me, me and Jim are buddies. We always crack each other up. But uh, it's going to be a hard day for some of the seniors. I, th- I know that uh, Jeff uh, Jack Westover is going to be real emotional. He'll have all of his family members there, and he talked about that earlier this week, where he's got a text exchange with a lot of guys he went to high school with, and most of them were over at Wazoo. So uh, it's going to be a special day for a lot of the seniors and Michael Penix, Romu Dunzi, and some of these other guys coming out today. So always look forward to Senior Day and seeing those guys come out. So. And this is a special, special group. So um, 
this is going to be fun. And luckily, 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 weather's going to hold up. We're not going to have the crappy, crappy, crappy weather that we sometimes do on Apple Cup. Temperature again in the high 40s, sunshine. It's going to be nice out. I will have sunglasses with me, so but I'll also have my cold weather bag as well. So um, it's going to be a fun day. So for all of us at dogman.com, I'm Kim Grenolds along with Chris Fetters and Scott Eklund. Go dogs. The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to the show? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the side. A new rain is coming to the south side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes May 10th. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply.